right, welcome in and welcome back to the Running Hoops Podcast, brought to you by Super Chicks, the home of the last true chicken sandwich. If you're heading down to Pasadena, stop by one of the Super Chicks locations in American Fork, Spanish Fork, or St. George to try out the last true chicken sandwich, view their menu and locations on their website at superchicks.com, and remember, it's chicks with an X dot com. On today's episode, I reveal my first Pac-12 Power Rankings of the 2022-23 season, bound to create lots of discussion and controversy in the Twitter sphere, and we'll take a look at which Pac-12 teams lead the way in certain statistical categories that I think are important slash interesting. Plus, I'll get you ready for Thursday night's tilt against the Cal Golden Bears as the running Utes look to start 3-0 in league play for the first time since the 2014-2015 season. We've got that and much more on this post-holiday edition of the Running Hoops podcast. But first, I want to remind you that you can follow the show on Twitter, at Running Hoops. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you don't know how to do that, hey, just shoot me a DM and I will walk you through it. And you can support the show on Venmo, at Running Hoops. We've had a few donations come in the last few weeks, so I want to say thank you for those. I very much appreciate it. Also, you can read my game previews on Ute Zone and see the conversation around the running Utes there. The folks over there at Ute Zone do a great job of covering the Utes. So I wanted to shout out to that as well. All right, well, first and foremost, I hope you had a safe and happy holiday. I know many will be heading to the Rose Bowl here in the coming days, so safe travels. And if you want to keep up to speed on everything happening with the running Utes, you can do that right here on this podcast. We will be here for you. Before I get to my Pac-12 power rankings, though, I wanted to play some audio for you. This is from the Field of 68 podcast, which features friend of the podcast, John Fanta, Rob Douster, and Terrence Oglesby. They were doing a bit of a Pac-12 reset, kind of a look at the conference and where it stands right now, and they did a couple of minutes on the running Utes. And so the question was, who in the Pac-12 looks like a tournament team? They obviously went through Arizona and UCLA, talked about Arizona State, and then they got to the running Utes. Take a listen to what they said. Uh, Utah, USC, can any of them make the day? I saw I saw Southern Cal play in uh, Battle for Atlantis. They did not look like a tournament team. Utah, they beat up on Arizona earlier this year. Was that just a result of playing at altitude, playing at home? I think that has a lot to do with it, yes. Well, they got a lot of experience. I mean, Utah had pretty much everybody come back, and I think they're well coached. So for me, like that, they've got a shot. Yeah. Utah has a shot, tough place to go and win. They could find themselves right around that conversation to make it, and they could. The, the Pac-12 could could get five teams. It's probably going to be four. Yeah. Uh, but I yeah I think Utah's going to find their way in to the tournament. I, I like the Utes. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take back what I said. And one reason and one reason only Brandon Carlson is a tough cover for anybody they play. Uh, he's really good at the five position at over seven feet tall. He shoots the ball extraordinarily well. They've got Gabe Matson and Raleigh Worcester, big, strong, physical dudes that are going to old, and they're old. They're going to take care of the ball. They're going to give him a shot. All right. So, some interesting commentary there from the guys at the Field of 68 podcast. It was a bit of a slow build. They had to kind of talk themselves into it. But hey, no matter how they got there, they got there. 
The running Utes definitely have people's attention, and that is a good thing. And with that, here we are. Pac-12 play begins in earnest on Thursday night, so I thought it'd be a good time to take stock of where league members stand vis-a-vis one another. And the best way to do that is some power rankings. So let's get to it. We're going to go in reverse order, and we're going to start at number 12 with Utah's opponent on Thursday night, the Cal Bears. Not super surprising here. The Bears are 1-12 on the season. I'll have a lot more on them in just a bit, but it has been a bit of a train wreck for Mark Fox in year four so far in Berkeley. Number 11, Washington State. This is an absolute stunner. At 5-8, the Cougars have really disappointed this season. They went 1-2 in the Diamond Head Classic. They beat George Washington essentially at the buzzer, and then they got worked over by Hawaii and Utah State. They're 74 in Ken Palm. They're 94 in the net. And it's a rough, been a rough year so far for Kyle Smith and company. At number 10, I've got Oregon State. Yes, the Beavers have more than doubled their win total from a year ago. And that makes them 7-6. and six. But they've got no non-conference wins of note. And they're still over 200 in both Ken Palm and the net. In at number 9, Stanford. At 5-7, and seven, this make-or-break year for Jared Haas is looking like a break so far. They are 0-7 against the top 100 Ken Palm teams that they've played, and they don't have a quality win to speak of. Now, could I see them sweep Utah, Colorado, and then beat Cal to get to 8-7? and seven? Yeah, but they just have not shown much so far this season. And, you know, for a team that's got a bunch of 4- and 5-star guys, that's just crazy, right? Number eight, Oregon. It sure seemed like last year was the exception, not the rule, but the Ducks are off to a rough start this year at seven and six. They've got a solid Ken Palm number at 47. They're 71 in the net, and they've lost two games at home to mid-majors so far this year, UC Irvine and and UVU. And look, those two teams are really good, but if you're going to be an upper echelon Pac-12 team and you're going to make the tournament, can't be losing those games at home. So I've got the Ducks in at number eight. Number seven, Washington. Washington is probably the most difficult team to place in the power rankings so far. They've got a really nice win against St. Mary's and they beat Colorado as well, but they lost to Cal Baptist at home. Shout out to Riley Batten and lost to Oregon State on the road. And then they got blown out in their two big games on their schedule against Gonzaga and Auburn. I think the Huskies are going to be in the mix in the top half of the league, but I just need to see more out of Mike Hopkins' crew up in Seattle. Number six, Colorado. Another tough team to figure out. They're 0-2 in league play, and they have losses to the likes of Grambling, UMass, and Washington, who are all 100 or lower in Ken Palm. However, They've also got four wins over top 100 Ken Palm teams and appear to be playing better with KJ Simpson leading the way. If you go by the numbers, Colorado still probably has one of the better wins in the non-conference over Tennessee on a quasi-neutral floor. Arizona beat them, but they beat them at home. Thursday night's game against Stanford is super intriguing for the Buffs and the Cardinal, really. Stanford's a two and a half point favorite in that game over the Buffs, and one of those teams is going to walk out of there 0-3 to start Pac-12 play. Number five, the running Utes. It's hard to justify the running Utes being any higher than five right now, 
They beat Arizona, which, as has been noted, will stick with them all season long. But all of their other big-time opportunities have been losses. And we just don't know how good the win over Washington State is going to be ultimately, or even Georgia Tech for that matter. So Utah is in this position where they are a top-half team in the league right now with a relatively soft resume, and they've just got to go out and do and get a bunch of wins. That's, that's their next job. Number four, USC. The Trojans get this spot just narrowly over the running Utes due to really the head-to-head win that they have over BYU in the battle for Atlantis. Outside of that, the resumes are actually pretty similar, though both Ken Palm and the Net favor Utah at this point. The running Utes are at USC on January 14th, so I'm very interested to see how that one plays out. Boogie Ellis, Drew Peterson, they've been playing well, but USC just doesn't have that dude the way that they usually do inside that can really dominate for them. Number three, Arizona State. How about that? My team picked 11th in the preseason, now up at number three here in my power rankings. The Sun Devils shook off an early loss to Texas Southern and ripped off nine in a row, which included wins over Michigan and Creighton. I think everybody was ready to make Arizona State the toast of the town, and then they lost by 37 to San Francisco. But hey, you got to give Arizona State credit. That's a true road game against a good mid-major team. So credit to Arizona State there, but woo, a 37-point loss is hard to shake off as well. Number two, UCLA. This one was really tough. The numbers slightly favor UCLA over Arizona, but Arizona has more wins in the non-conference that are better. While the Wildcats laid an egg in Salt Lake City, the Bruins did so in the Continental Tire event against Baylor and Illinois. And then number one, Arizona. And no, this is not just because Utah beat them. Outside of that game in Salt Lake, Arizona has five wins against top 26 teams in Ken Palm, and many have Azulis Tubelis as the player of the year in the league so far this year. Plus, it's their title until someone comes and takes it. Keep an eye on January 21st and March 4th. Those are their games against UCLA. They finish the season against the Bruins in Westwood, and those games, I mean, they're going to be heavyweight bouts. So there you have it. My power rankings so far this season. Agree? Disagree? Hit me up on Twitter at Running Hoops. I wanted to just quickly share with you a couple of interesting data points here for teams in the league in terms of where they all stack up from a metrics perspective and what it may say about where those teams truly stand in the Pac-12 and in the college basketball landscape, or maybe I'm just reading too much into it. Okay, so the number one team in the Pac-12 in points per game is Arizona at 90.2. They're number two overall nationally in that category. The number one team in the Pac-12 in scoring defense is UCLA at 61.5 points per game. That's good for 34th nationally. The number one rebounding team in the Pac-12, your Utah Utes. 42.85 rebounds a game, number three in the country. In offensive rebounds per game, that distinction actually goes to Colorado at 12 per game, number 74 nationally. Three-point shooting percentage, number one, 
Hey, hey, it's the running Utes, 37.5%, number 53 nationally. They eke out that category over Arizona and UCLA. Turnovers per game, UCLA tops this category at 10.1. That's eighth nationally. And then free throws, kind of the big outlier here, a little bit at least. Washington is in at 76.42% as the top team in the Pac-12. That's good for 26th in the country. And this is a trend that has kind of carried through through the preseason. But Cal and Oregon State come in at number two and number three, respectively, in the Pac-12 and free throw shooting, which is interesting because they're terrible at other kinds of shooting. So why do I bring these numbers up? Well, I think they're interesting first and foremost, but I also think it's interesting that you've got UCLA leading in two categories. You've got Arizona leading in a category, and then you've got Utah leading in two categories at rebounding and three-point percentage. And so one of the things that we talked about in the preseason, kind of in the lead up to this season, was making those small adjustments. Ben in Utah talked about it on the fan roundtable you know, if you can increase your three-point shooting just a little bit, and I've talked about it all offseason, if you can increase your rebounding just a little bit, you go from average to elite pretty quickly. And so that's where Utah is right now in a couple of these categories, you know, against all of the other teams in the league. So it'll be interesting to see how those numbers continue to move up or down throughout the season, but I thought it was a good time to take stock of that here as we get set for the remainder of conference play. And I'll just add one more thing, you know, kind of parenthetically here, but I think when the numbers favor you as you go throughout the season, that's also going to help you from a perception standpoint, right? Like all of Utah's games, or at least most of Utah's games are going to be on Pac-12 networks, right? And so a lot of people aren't going to be able to see those games. And so they're going to be relying on Ken Palm and you know ESPN BPI and obviously the net ranking and other things like that. But if they start to look at some of the bigger metrics and say, oh gosh, Utah's the number three team in rebounding. Utah's a top three point shooting team. They're going to look at them as a worthy team of some kind of postseason. Again, be that the NCAA tournament or the NIT. And so I think that keeping themselves in the conversation relative to the metrics is only going to help them as they go throughout the remainder of conference play. All right, up next, we will take a look at the Cal Bears right after these words from one of our sponsors. Hey, everyone. Now, I know what you're thinking. Another t-shirt read, it's snowing outside. True, but you got to wear a t-shirt under that company-branded pullover that you got for Christmas. And if you're going to do that, you might as well make it a fly-fit tee. They use a blend of ring-spun cotton and polyester that's super soft, but not too thin. Fly-fit tees are also cut to give their tees shape, not like those boxy tube shirts from the big box stores. These are high-end t-shirts as low as $15 each. It's a t-shirt you can wear out to dinner, to the movies, around the house on the weekend, even up to the Huntsman Center to check out the running utes. I have even been told that my fly-fit tee looks fly on me. All orders ship within 24 hours directly from their headquarters in Colorado, and there's plenty of Running Utes Red in their inventory. We've got the best discount that they've ever done just for our listeners. Use the code RUNNINHOOPS, all one word, at checkout for 30% off your first order or 
Go to flyfittees.com slash hoops. That website again, flyfittees.com slash hoops. All right, well, the Redden Utes head to the not-so-friendly confines of Haas Pavilion on Thursday night to take on the Cal Bears. It has been a rough start to the season for Cal, to put it mildly. The Bears are 1-12 and 0-2 in Pac-12 play. They've lost at home. They've lost on the road. They've lost to Power 6 teams. They've lost to mid-majors. On top of that, they're 241 in Ken Palm and 319 in the net. And then there's the injuries. Expected contributors Jalen Celestine and Coppin State transfer to Juan Clayton have yet to see the floor. And former five-star transfer Devin Askew missed the Bears' win over UT Arlington with a foot injury. His status for Thursday night is in question. The Bears are coached by Mark Fox, who is in his fourth season in Berkeley and has a record of 36-70, in Pac-12 play. Fox took his teams at Nevada and Georgia to postseason tournaments, but has yet to parlay that experience into anything meaningful at Cal. Let's talk a little bit about the squad. Cal is led by Texas transfer Devin Askew, who is averaging 16.9 points per game, 3.5 rebounds, and 2.7 assists. The junior guard has really elevated his game since arriving in Berkeley, but it hasn't translated into wins. He's currently battling a foot injury, so it'll be interesting to see if he suits up on Thursday night. If he doesn't, the Bears are in an even deeper hole than they were before. The Bears' only other double-digit scorer this season is Lars Tiemann, who's, you know, forward center. He's averaging 12.5 points per game and 6.5 rebounds per game at 7-1 and 260. He'll present a unique challenge for the running Utes inside. In Askew's absence, senior guard Joel Brown led the Bears in their only victory of the season with 17 points and 6 rebounds. He could be called on to contribute more if Askew misses this game as well. The front court mixes experience with youth as forwards Kwani Kwani, who's a junior, and Grant Newell, who's a true freshman, both average over 25 minutes per game. Newell is coming off a solid week, which netted him the Pac-12 Freshman of the Week award. Other names to know on Cal include forward Sam Aljiki, guard Marcellus Robertson, and true freshman forward Andy Okafor, who Utah had some interest in during his recruitment at some point. If you look at the numbers in this game, it's not going to surprise you at all to know that Cal ranks at or near the bottom of the Pac-12 in most statistical categories. They're 349 nationally in points per game, 117 nationally in points allowed per game. That's 10th in the Pac-12, 332 nationally in rebounds, 300 in offensive rebounds, 348 in three-point percentage, and 257 in turnovers per game. Interestingly enough, the Bears are second in the Pac-12 in free throw shooting at 76.9%, which ranks 31 nationally. The Redden Utes currently lead the Pac-12 in two statistical categories, as mentioned before, but hey, it bears repeating. Rebounds per game and three-point shooting. They're number three nationally in rebounds per game and number 53 nationally in three-point shooting. Utah is also 265 in free throw shooting at 67.59%. So that has not improved over the last several weeks. Ken Palm gives Utah an 81% chance to win this game and projects a 68-57 to victory, while Haslam metrics gives this one to the running Utes 
56. The line on this game is Utah by 10 and a half. And I think the over-under is like 127 and a half or something like that. So with all the numbers in their favor, the Utes just have to find a way to win this game, right? Especially if they want to keep any kind of postseason hopes alive, be that, you know, the NCAA tournament or the NIT. So here's how they're going to do it. Here are their keys to victory. First, you got to feed the Carlsons. While Brandon Carlson gives up about 30 pounds to Lars Tienen, he still presents a matchup problem for the Bears, especially with his three-point shooting. If he can pull Tienen out of the paint, it could really open up opportunities at the basket for Ben Carlson and others in the front court, but primarily Ben Carlson, who really goes through these stretches where he doesn't score, but he still has a bunch of rebounds. I think that this could be a really big game for him as Cal focuses on trying to take away Brandon Carlson. Take their threes on the road. We just talked about it. They're they're currently number one in the Pac-12 by a very small margin in three-point shooting percentage. And with three players on the team shooting 37% or better from beyond the arc, the running Utes are going to need to bring that shooting on the road to ensure victory, not only against Cal, but against Stanford, though we'll get to Stanford on the next episode. The next thing I have here is meaningful minutes. And what does that mean? Well, one of the reasons that TCU continued to have an answer every time Utah made a push is because they had up to 10 guys that they could throw at the running Utes. With Cal being so banged up and not very deep, I think it would really behoove Craig Smith and the staff to give more guys meaningful minutes in this game. You keep the starters fresh. Plus, it actually might be beneficial to a guy like Raleigh Wooster, to sit a little bit more, to recalibrate a little bit, maybe see the game from the bench and see what other guys are doing, see even the mistakes that they're making, and try to learn from that. And just, again, pull back on his minutes. We've talked about this before the season. As the season started, Like he can't be getting as many minutes as he, as he is because he's getting gassed and he's making mistakes. And so this would really be a good opportunity, I think, to pull back on his minutes just a little bit and give guys like Will Exact, Mike Saunders, Boston Holt, some of these other guys more minutes in this game. And then finally, I bet you thought I was going to forget, but no, value the basketball, right? California ranks 321 nationally in turnovers forced per game, but don't get too excited because Utah ranks 319. So what you have to do if you're Utah here, though, is do not help them out. This is a game where Utah should keep its turnovers under 10 for the game. There's no need to make that flashy pass. There's no need to take those bad one-legged fadeaway shots. There's no need to put the ball on the floor unnecessarily and let the guards swipe at it. None of that stuff. You just got to play smart and value the basketball. And if you do that, you've got a great chance to win this game on the road, going away, I think. So then what's my prediction? After two missed opportunities in the non-conference, the running Utes should be anxious to get back on the court, to get that bad taste out of their mouths. They swept the Bay Area schools a year ago, and they've won the last three against Cal, both of which should give them some good confidence heading into this game. Utah is the better team. They're going to show that. On Thursday night, I've got the Utes 74, Cal 58. So let me know what you think at Running Hoops on Twitter.
the conference schedule is here. 18 to go. As uh, Larry liked to say, we're going to play them all. We're going to line them up and see how it all shakes out at the end. But certainly a big-time opportunity for the Utes here in this opening weekend of Pac-12 play. Where's everybody else playing? Let's take a look at that. You probably know this already, but Colorado playing at Stanford on Thursday night. Utah and Colorado and Stanford and Cal, the only four teams in action on Thursday night. On Friday night, it'll be the L.A. schools, USC and UCLA at Washington and Washington State. And then on Saturday, you've got the kind of the one-off matchups with Arizona at Arizona State. That's going to be a really entertaining game, I think, on New Year's Eve and Oregon State at Oregon. Teams really trying to figure out where they're going to be. Utah and Colorado face the back end of their road trip as well on Saturday. And then on New Year's Day, you're going to have the back end of the L.A. schools at the Washington schools. So it'll be USC at Washington State. It'll be UCLA at Washington. And that is how the opening weekend of Pac-12 play will be. Just one more thing before I get out of here for the day. Running Utes legend Arnie Farron passed away earlier this week at the age of 97. Farron is the only four-time All-American that Utah Hoops has ever had. He was the most outstanding player in the 1944 NCAA championship, which Utah won over Dartmouth 42-40. He had 22 points in that game, and incidentally, 22 was also his number, which is retired by the school. He's been named to a number of different halls of fame, including the Crimson Club, Utah Sports, Pac-12, and college basketball. Um, According to his Wikipedia page, his mother passed away when he was three years old, and his dad was too busy with work to raise him, so he was raised by his grandparents. 97 is a heck of a run, that is for sure, but I just wanted to make mention of that. Farron, obviously, a legendary Ute. He had a lot of involvement with the program over the years. He was the athletic director at Utah and had other roles throughout his life. And so, rest in peace, Arnie, 97. Not bad. Not bad at all. But that is going to do it for this episode of the Running Hoops podcast. I want to thank you, as always, for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, at Running Hoops. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And, of course, you can support our NIL efforts with Brandon Carlson on Venmo at Running Hoops. But until next time, I'm Andrew Crowley. This is the Running Hoops podcast. And as always, go use.